It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Everybody was walking in talking about how wet it was. Folks, are you Baptists or not? I always say a little water doesn't kill us, does it? Like what one guy said. He said about sprinkling, he says, you didn't get saved in spots, so why should you get wet in spots? Saved all over. Amen. Okay. Well, there's a long-running joke that the TV program MASH lasted longer than the Korean War. And that's said part truth. MASH lasted 11 seasons. Our involvement was not quite that long. We signed an armistice in 1958, uh, 1953. So the U.S. involvement was not long. But as many as you know, in recent news, the leaders of both North and South Korea have come together and have ended a very, very long war. Now, they had not come together in almost 10 years. Now, there are skeptics, <coughs> Cindy, um, <laughs> who feel that this may not be a, a lasting issue. I don't know. I'm not going to be a prophet in that area. I am always happy to see peace, but the one thing that I do recognize is that peace without Jesus is not lasting peace. Amen? But having said that, I do wish peace upon this earth. And so one way to understand that is to recognize that peace does not come through the signing of agreements. Peace comes in the agreement that we have made with Christ Jesus. Amen? And that's what we're about today. And that's why, again, I, I was asking the question this morning, what race are you running? For over, you know, 50 plus, 60 years, both North and South the Korean leaders have been determined to keep this war going. That's tenacity, folks. That is strong tenacity. I think it's almost 80 years. That's a strong tenacity. And so when we think about what it is about Christendom, Christianity, and it has been an active force for most of 2,000 years, how did we get from that point to this point? And it's to recognize that it takes a tenacious spirit to run the race. And so the question that I want to ask you this morning, did you even know that you were running? You look very comfortable this morning. Some of you might even feel like, man, I wish I had things I could prop my feet up on. <laughs> there are churches that have those. I found out that's what they're for. <laughs> <laughs> we need to know what we have been called to do. In the scripture... Paul said that we are running a race. One of the surveys that came out by George Barna showed that most Americans do not sense of themselves that they are holy. Now, they feel that people can obtain holiness. In fact, they say that despite people's past, three out of four Americans believe that someone can overcome their past and become holy. But the sad reality is that of that, only half of the population says that they knew someone that they considered holy. 
then less than 25% said that they even themselves considered themselves to be holy. And so that bothers me because we have lost the sense of what holiness is. And one of the things that Scripture teaches us is that holiness is in Christ. It's in God. It is finding the things that are righteous, things that are truthful in God, and championing that cause. The book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 14, says this, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. And so one out of four Americans are striving at the best to see God. They're looking for holiness. They're not right. Three out of four who call themselves Christian or don't want to follow a race. They don't want to run a race. And so we need to recognize how important it is. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It means to be spiritually mature, to be made complete. And we are made complete in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What Christ did on the cross is sufficient. It is enough. In fact, we use that acronym, faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. Do we really trust Jesus? Because if we did, we'd recognize that he has called us to run in a race. Stuart Briscoe, who is a pastor, author, lives near Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he says, I like to run. And says, I taught my children to run. But he says, then they taught me to hate running. He says, they got so interested in running, they they wanted to run a 10,000 meter race. And that meant that we had to get up early every morning and run. And mornings in Wisconsin can be frosty, can be cold. And when you're working towards 10,000, thousand meters on a cold morning it can become quite disdaining and he said so the day of the 10,000 meter race came and there were almost 25,000 people who entered into the race now some people dressed up he said there was a few guys pardon it it is Milwaukee and what is Milwaukee famous for Breweries, okay. Oh, there you go, thank you. <laughs> Someone had the heart to say it. <laughs> Beer dog on it. <laughs> I noticed Ellie sitting between Rich and Linda right now. <laughs> That's sitting grace. <laughs> but he said a few came dressed up as beer bottles, their favorite brewery. And then there were some folks that were dressed up in, in things like banana suits and everything else. And they were all just jostling and talking and everything. And then the race started. He said, everybody's just all oh, having fun. He says, but you got in about a quarter of a mile. And then people started to lag. He says, about three quarters of a mile in, he says, it was an ungodly sight. He said, I saw the beer bottle and the banana hanging over a fence together. <laughs> <laughs> Then you get to about the four-mile mark. And a fewer and fewer people, they're starting to get scattered out. And as it got 
further and further deeper into the race, less and less people were following the race and finishing across the line. And so he said, really, the moral of the story is this. You get all kinds of people goofing off at the start. And that's not what counts. But what counts is the finish. And Jesus has called you to be a disciple. That's the very first and foremost thing. You know, if you go to the Great Commission, we, we, we got it backwards a lot of times. We baptize and make disciples. You know, it says make disciples and baptize. Educate, find the followers, challenge them then to complete the race, follow through with the race, I should say, through baptism. We cannot be disciples without following the commands of Jesus Christ, plain and simple. And so we need to understand that you are in a race. I am in a race. So now we got to figure out this. What kind of race did you sign up for? What kind of race is it that you are in? Now, for many, they can run sprints. I can't run sprints. I can't run distance when it comes to truth and reality of running. And one of the reasons is, to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever seen a happy runner. Seriously. Most of you haven't, have, haven't experienced that. I have. Well, you know, I used to ride the bike trails, and I'd see rollerbladers, rollerbladers with their headphones in. They ain't got a care in the world. They're way back and forth, way back and forth, swaying, swaying, swaying. They look okay. Other bikers were okay. But runners, they're just going, <gasps> I have not seen a happy runner. And one of the reasons is because they're running distance. And one of the things that we have to understand is that Christianity is not a sprint. It is a long distance race. A marathon, if you would. The actual word for compete is where we get the word agonize. Did you hear what I said? I haven't seen a happy runner. And there's a lot of Christians who are running in the race, if you would, and they don't act like they're happy. They seem to have lost the joy of their salvation. What has brought them? And it's the focus. Paul says in these verses of Scripture that there are those that will run for a temporary crown. And there are a lot of temporary crowns. It was a laurel wreath, if you would. It would wither. It would dry up. Several years ago when, <coughs> pardon me, Cindy and I had gone to Hawaii, Natalie had given us legs. She hung them up, and pretty soon they dried out. And as they dried out, they began to become very brittle. And when they got brittle, they fell apart. And what do you do with something like that? You tend to do what? You cast it aside. You throw it away. And that was the crown that many would strive for in Paul's time. And so we are not one who competes for, he says, a corruptible crown, one that will dissolve away, one that will wilt away, but one that is incorruptible, one that will remain. And we need to understand that the motivation of this race is the prize that is set before us, the high calling, if you would, Paul says, in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our motivation. 
Many of you don't know who Dusty Thompson is, but he wrote a book called A Gone Pecan. And he was a, he was a young man from Georgia who moved to Texas when he was young. His family moved to Texas. And he says, now in Texas you have to understand that football is a religion. We understand that, being part of the football conference we're in, don't we? And he said, as a junior high boy, my dad wanted me to play football. Now you have to understand, Dusty Thompson was rather a rotund young man in junior high. And so when he goes out for football, he says, the coach says, something your alignment. And he said, why? He said, because you're fat. Because he understood this. Girth substitutes for talent in junior high football. He said, all right, I'll play. But I didn't want to get hurt. So when they would come at me, when the defense would come at me, I would step aside and go, have at him. <laughs> said, I got to play special teams. Special teams was, was my favorite. He said, I'd get out there and play special teams. He says, I would dodge to the left. I would dodge to the right. Avoiding everybody, but just dodging back and forth. At the end of the play, I'd run back to the bench, and the coach would say, Good hustle, Thompson. He said, Hey, he didn't understand hustle from survival. <laughs> well, that wouldn't have worked in the games that Paul was talking about. Because competing required commitment. It meant that one would have to work hard. To be an athlete in the games that Paul talked about was literally professionally an athlete. They would eat, they would drink, they would breathe their sport. They would work hard. Paul mentions about keeping his body in subjection. Now beat my body, not as left beating air. In other words, he's, Paul was a physical specimen at one time. And he understood what it meant. And Paul says... In verse 26 in the New King James, or in the King James says, therefore, meaning therefore, when we do this competition, there is something more than just the actual getting ready for the competition. You gotta get out there and play the game. It doesn't do any good to have all the words. It doesn't have good, do any good to have all the strategy. It doesn't do any good to have the environment. It doesn't have any, any good to have the music if we don't get involved in the game, folks. We're called to run a marathon race for Jesus Christ. We have to finish. Bonhoeffer talks about self-sacrifice. He says to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To know him only, he who goes before, no more road, which is too hard for us to travel. Jesus said that. The road to following him would be hard. There's a lot of people who when they, fought, they fought, sign up to follow Jesus, when things get a little hard, they bail out. When they get a little testy, they quit. But Jesus said the road would be hard, and few would be on that road. It takes, it takes tenacity to compete as a Christian. And so the question then has to come up. 
Why did you sign up? You're here today with some indication that at some point in time, you met Jesus Christ. Maybe you met him just as a man. But if you've met him as the holy, living Christ, then you've met more than a man. You've met the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all that is. This is the Jesus of Scripture. This is the Jesus to whom we run this race. There are some who signed up for fire insurance, I believe. And what I mean by that is, they said yes to Jesus to get out of hell. Now, that's what Jesus has provided. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, often what we think is, is that the church is busting down and beating against hell. Not really what it's saying, or excuse me, that hell is trying to get into the church. It's the church busting open hell. Folks, there oughtn't be one person that you want to go to hell. Not one, if you truly understood what it was. It is a place of torment. It is a place of agonization. It's a place where Jesus says the conscience doesn't die. You're in constant torment forever. I was talking to someone the other day and said, how, how long is eternity? It's forever and a day. Simple definition of eternity. And that's the torment and the agony and the place of darkness and separation that every individual will experience without Jesus Christ. But that's not what I want to sell. Because that's not his best selling point. He didn't die just to get people out of hell. He died to give them heaven. To give them the glories and the riches of heaven. We are joint heirs with Christ Jesus, Paul tells us. Imagine that. The creator, as I said, and the sustainer of the universe. All that is, is his. And he's going to share it with you and me. Forever and a day. Just seeing how many were going with me. There are two kinds of grace that are often spoke of. And again, Bonhoeffer speaks of cheap grace. Cheap grace brings people to that understanding of hell. Cheap grace doesn't require anything. It just says, hey, Jesus loves you. Doesn't expect anything more of you. Jesus wants you not to go to hell. When we cheapen that kind of grace, we cheapen the work of the cross. When we cheapen the work of the cross, we cheapen Jesus himself. We say that what he did, anybody could have really done. But it was his precious blood. It was all Christ. All Christ on that cross. And so one of the main defects of such a proclamation of cheap grace is there's no discipleship. We don't have to follow. All we have to do is show up. You know, folks, he calls us to follow. Come follow me. Take my yoke upon you. 
Yes, he says, for it is light and easy, but that doesn't mean that there isn't work to be done. You see, when, when Jesus is speaking of this yoke, it is the indication of a, of a trained oxen being hooked to a youngling, a young oxen, so that it might learn about the weight that the plow pulls on its back. That it might learn the discretion of the master's direction. That it might plow straight furrows. This is what that yoke means. It means that we attach ourselves to Jesus. Recognizing that the burden of sin that he bore burdens us for others. Jesus didn't save just Ron Price. Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the commission that he has given me, and the commission that he has given you, the commission that he has given the church is to run his race. And that means that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. But we are to run it with joy in our hearts. Because when we understand what decisions it demands, the answer to the question is we come to him and he knows all the answers. Our desire to be in his race should be a desire that others recognize. And you want to enjoy running it too. I hope that when I come alongside people, that I practice that I'm salt and light. I hope that when someone walks away from me, they don't walk away disdaining what I believe and who I am, but rather they feel refreshed. Most of you who will spend any time talking to me at all, and I don't say this braggartly, but I love to talk about Jesus. I love to talk about Jesus. At breakfast this morning, Cindy and I entered into conversation, and I have a sermon on a napkin already. <laughs> that was over oatmeal. <laughs> That's not uncommon. I love to talk about Jesus. And I love people who love to talk about Jesus. My phrase for the greater part of this week has been I don't care <laughs> is it alright if we plant a tree I don't care <laughs> is it alright if we have a party I don't care <laughs> is it alright if we blow up third street I don't care <laughs> I don't live there <laughs> and it's biblical it preaches Casting all your cares upon him, for he what? He careth for you. There's a sermon in that, right? I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, I'm going to preach that. I said, oh, I don't care. <laughs> he said, well, I said, if you do, tape it for me so I can hear it. He says, well, if it comes out good or bad, guess what? I don't care. <laughs> and a lot of things I don't care about. I really don't care about politics. I don't care about the weather. I have, 
I found out that if you eat bananas, there's a lot less. It just brings your stress level down. I've been eating a lot of bananas. <laughs> Hence the I don't care, I guess. Huh? Maybe that ought to be Chiquita's new slogan. The banana that says, I don't care. <laughs> Someone market that. You could get rich. You don't know. I've tossed out some other ideas. <clears throat> but in short, in reality, the thing that I do care about is I care about the things that Jesus cares about. And the thing that Jesus cared about is his church. Making his church. The Bible said that he loved the church and gave himself for it. I want to I want to give what Jesus gave. That's what I want to do. And I want to do it with the best of my might. And I want to bring people alongside of me. And one of the things that we have lost in this culture is mentorship. We've lost that. We ask the question is, what is happening to youth in America? And I'm going to tell you, as a youth worker of 40 plus years now, that's the problem. Youth don't have mentors. It's hard to get, it's hard to get adult people who don't have relations with these children, these young people, to come alongside them and spend time with them. The Big Brothers and Big Sisters program, I mean, they don't think they even use that term anymore. Because it, it meant responsibility. We don't want responsibility anymore. Well, folks, when we come alongside another brother or sister in Christ, we are responsible for them. God asked this of Cain. Are you, and my brother, excuse me, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper is what Cain said. And God didn't say no. He indicated, yes, you are. We are keepers of one another. We are called to come alongside one another. That means mentoring. I got some high school teachers in here who could testify to that, right? And elementary teachers. Man, if I just if I just had better parental involvement, if I just had people who were interested in helping, it's a tough job working with young people today. I was so happy to, to uh, go down to the Riverfront National Day of Prayer. And uh, Sue Jones was asked to pray for our high schools and our uh, secondary school, all our schools, actually. I made testimony of, of, of the belief that our students have and our teachers have. And we have good teachers and we have good students, but we need more. We need more. We need citizens who help support them. Okay. We need folks to get involved. And that's what discipleship is in the church. It's getting involved in whoever comes in these doors' lives and walking alongside them. There's a certain colony of ants that where, in order to find a food source, the more mature ants will take on a, sm- a younger ant and walk them through a path to where a food source is. It's called tandem running. And they go and they find this food source. Now, after a few runs, the mature ant will stop at points to help the young ant understand locations, landmarks, if you would, to the food source. And then pretty soon, when the young ant realizes, okay, I can find the source, 
it will do a thing what's called tapping. It'll tap the mature ant's hind leg, to which then the mature ant will step aside and let the younger ant run ahead. Now, science has shown that when this is done, that an ant can find a food source in about 90 seconds. It takes five times longer if they do it on their own. You get what I'm saying? You want to grow a church that's Christ-filled? And those who are Christ-filled need to come alongside those who are starting. And we need to walk with them. And then one day, maybe they'll tap you. But too often, what happens is the maturians quit. The mature Christian quits. Oh, I, and folks, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to bash retiring. But it's a fairly new concept in humanity and socialization. Okay? We tap out before we're tapped out. We quit when they're still young, growing Christians who need to see the dedication of those who have ran the race. We need to continue. Well, what that basically brings us to is, is Jesus worth it all to you? Is this race that you're in, is it worth it? Because it should be. When Jesus died on the cross, one of the purposes of the soldier pushing the spear in the side of Jesus was to see that he was dead. But it was also to show us that he had poured it all out. Jesus poured it all out on the cross. Now, we may not ever be able to pour it all out. We're human. We're not going to be able to do that. But I think we can pour more. There's always more. It's a question that Jesus even asked. What do you more than these? There is more to be done. We're in an election season, and I always have people ask, who should I vote for? Who should I vote for? Well, John Jay told us a long time ago who to vote for. He's first chief justice of the United States. He said you ought to prefer Christians. That's plain and simple. That's historic. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. Well, Ron, what if there are no Christians available? Then I think that's a sad testimony on us as citizens. That we haven't challenged our politicians to be Christians. We've let them legislate and make laws that strip away our Christianity. You see, I don't need a politician to make me morally right. I already have a savior. It's my job now to go out and win others for Christ. And when I change that mindset, then people will begin to pick and choose the right candidates. You see, you'll discover that. And the right candidates will step up. We're always waiting for somebody else to do our job. But is Christ worth it all? Sometimes after all the years that I've been married, <clears throat> I still surprise Cindy. She'd come home one evening, and I was watching TV. That's not to surprise. <laughs> I admit, I watched some TV. <clears throat> it was what I was watching. 
I was watching My Fair Lady. <laughs> and I was enjoying it. <laughs> Professor Higgins, Eliza. But there's a quote in the, in the, uh, the, the Broadway show, the movie, the book, that Eliza makes to Freddie. And she says this. She said, words, words. I'm sick of words. Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. Don't talk of love lasting through time. Make no undying vow. If you love me, show me. By the way, I'm no Audrey Hepburn. Dave said, if you show me, love me. Sounds like words in this book, doesn't it? If you show me, love me. There is a reverential fear that we are to have for God. There were three frogs sitting on a log. One decided to jump off. How many were left? Three. Well, if you do the math, math says two. But that's not what I said. I said three frogs were sitting along. One decided to jump off. Just because he decided does not necessarily mean that he jumped off. Right? Thank you, Rich. I love my amen corner. There's a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't know how many people's in this room this morning. The ushers know. I don't know right now. But there's a line in that song that says this. Though none go with me, still I will follow. You can walk out on me today. You can all leave. And if I'm called to preach in this pulpit again, and none of you show up, I'll stand right here. I'll stand right here. Because I have decided to follow Jesus. We're in a race. We're in his race. Let's see it to completion. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and his love. And we thank you for what you have called us to. And as we grow and we mature, may we recognize and understand that this is a long, arduous race. And Father, we may not see the end of victory ourselves in this lifetime, but we are promised to see the victory. And so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on the prize, a high calling of Christ Jesus our Lord. If there are those here today, Father, who have not yet joined this race, May they do so. May Jesus touch their heart in a way that they desire to follow him. There are those who have said, Lord, I've gotten into the race, but I've stopped many times along the way. I failed to realize that it takes a strong endurance, tenacity. Father, may move hearts today. For we pray these things in Christ's name.